good morning. Great to see you all here today. Nice fall day, huh? Awesome. Well, on behalf of your local Jewish guy, I'd like to welcome you here. Mazel tov. Turn to someone and say, L'chaim. To life, L'chaim. There's a lot of life here. It's the life of Christ. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. It's so great to be here. And uh, I'm excited to be able to share this message. We're starting a, a new series today. And in my prayer time as to what scripture to use for this uh, series, uh, I felt like I heard from the Lord, but I felt especially good uh, that I heard from the Lord today when in our pre-service meeting, Jason, who is our service director, shared the exact same scripture. So I, I'm sensing that God wants to speak to us today. What do you think? Are you guys open to hear from God today? Let's pray. Lord God, we just want to open our hearts to you. Can you just open your hearts right now to the Lord? Lord, we want to hear from you today. We just open to what your Holy Spirit has to speak. Lord, my words are nothing. It is your words that we need to hear. The, the logos of God we need to hear today. And so we just ask that your spirit would be here, that you would speak and these words, that they would go straight to our soul and we would be healed, we would be encouraged, we would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so this new series is called Engage. That's right. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had two series this year so far. One of them was Encounter. And we did that for quite some time because God loves for us to encounter him. It's this like major experience of seeing Jesus in our spirits and our souls and being changed by that. That's the grace of God. It can't happen in any other way. God's grace is his immeasurable gift of forgiveness and love that was found in the cross Right When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he released grace in this world. Do you guys agree? Amen. He released grace in this world in a way that can change us forever. And that encounter is the first thing we need to have with grace. But then there's more to grace. Grace also has an element of encourage. And, and we had a series uh, we just finished on encourage about us growing, about the, the body of Christ building itself up in love as each part does its work. We are all, by the grace of God, encouraged not just to grow in ourselves, but to support one another in growth. And that's what Encourage is all about, that we would become everything that God had in his mind's eye when he created us, that we would become that person. Do you think that's what God wants? I totally think that's what he wants. He didn't, you know, there's, there's this Chinese restaurant in California called OK Chinese Food. Like, <laughs> who wants to go to an OK Chinese Food restaurant, Right. No, we all want to go to the best Chinese food restaurant. Where is that? I don't know, because I've been looking. There's none good in Utah. <laughs> well, I need to hear. Text me. <laughs> I love Chinese food. You know, this is totally off track, but my family went out to Chinese food in New York every single Sunday 
and we would clear out the restaurant with our yelling and, and screaming and laughing. Man, that poor restaurant went out of business because of us. <laughs> no, it didn't. But <laughs> So we're encountering his grace, and then his grace encourages us to grow and become everything that God has for us. And now we're talking about engage, that this grace has called us to engage in our world, engage in our world. We share God's love and serve others. That's what engage is all about. So it's not just uh, growing in ourselves. It is multiplying that grace. We want to see the grace of God multiply. That's God's design. That's God's design. Not that it just reside in us, but that it flow out from us. And that's what today is about. We're talking about the flow of grace, the flow of grace. It's, it's something that, I, that I've discovered, uh, this concept. I mean, it is God's concept, and I think it's in the Scripture. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 as we see this. But first, we need to know that this is God's plan for us. And in Matthew 5.16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the scripture that was on a little bumper beforehand. That is God's call for us, that the light that he pours into us would also shine out from us and our lives would be changed, and the lives of those around us. How many of you know someone who needs to be impacted by the light of Christ? Raise your hand. I want you, while, while we're talking, I want you to think specifically about some names, maybe one or two names of people that you know and love, that you know that if they are impacted by the light of Christ, it would make a significant difference in, in their lives, because we're going to be praying for those people at the end of the service. And engage means to participate in or to become involved in. And this is what Jesus did. I just love what John the Apostle said in, 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 uh, in 1 John. It says, uh, it says that I want to share with you, I'm just going to extrapolate out, I want to share with you the one who we saw with our eyes, we heard with our ears, and we touched this is our God. He wants to engage in our lives. And it's by his grace that poured into us that we can now see that engagement take place through us. That's what we're talking about. Now, engage kind of makes me think of engagement. And I wanted to talk about my wife, so I thought I'd talk about engagement a little. And, uh, you know, we had a great engagement, and it, it was so much fun. As a matter of fact, we wanted to be engaged right away, within weeks of, of knowing each other. And our pastor at the time, Pastor Brent, said, no, that's probably a good idea. Hold your horses, and, and let's just wait a little longer on this. So we, we waited a little. But once we got engaged, it was slightly embarrassing. It was embarrassing because we were so silly with each other. You know what I mean? Amen. Noah and Miranda... Where are they? Oh, there they are. They're getting married soon. You know, it, it was slightly embarrassing. We would, Cynthia called it googly eyes, right? Right, Nanny? Oh, she's walking out of the room now. <laughs> and we just kind of look at each other and drool, you know? 
I remember one time we were, we were driving in, in a car, and I was driving, and, uh, and it was just a few days before we were going to get married. We're still engaged. We're not married yet. And we started kissing while I'm driving, and, and then we hear these sirens behind us. <laughs> I'm serious. This really happened. We heard these sirens behind us. We got pulled over. And I said, honey, say something, you know. And, and she said, we're really sorry, officer. We're, you know, we're, we're engaged. We're going to get married really, sh- really soon. And, and we were kissing. We're really sorry. And he said, well, I won't give you a, a ticket as long as you don't kiss anymore. And, you know, and so we drove off and we didn't kiss for a little while. But, I mean, it was so embarrassing being pulled over because we're kissing, you know. <laughs> So engagement, something happens when you get engaged. That's what happened with us. That was the purpose of the story, was that, you know, our lives kind of changed a little. We were engaged. We were engaged. We had, she had an engagement ring. We had a date. We had all these plans. This was our life now. We were committed to one another. And this engagement is key. And when we engage, something significant happens. And so we want to talk about that today. And we're going to talk about it in, in Ephesians chapter 2, but I just want to give you a little bit of a, a background of this letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote. Uh, the, the Ephesian church uh, was started uh, at, at Paul's second missionary journey, and uh, they, they stopped there. It was Priscilla and Aquila, two pastors, a woman and, and a male pastor that were married together. And, and they, they went with, yeah, they were married together. That's right. And, uh, and they, they went with Paul and they stopped in Ephesus and they stayed there for a little while. It was quite significant. And then Priscilla and Aquila stayed there and they kind of continued the work for a while. And this was so significant that on Paul's uh, next journey, his third journey, he stayed for three years and shared the gospel uh, with the Ephesian church and with the Ephesians. And it was such an impact that uh, it spread throughout that region. And Ephesus, there were over 200 communities that were in Ephesus. Ephesus was on a major Roman road, a major Roman highway. And so it had great influence all around. And so for Paul and and Priscilla and Aquila to stay there and instruct the church, especially in the things that we're going to be talking about today, was very significant and very influential. Matter of fact, in in, um, Acts chapter 19, it says that Every single person in that region of Asia heard the gospel of Jesus Christ because of this ministry. And Paul wrote Ephesians when he was in prison, and uh, it was more of a house arrest, and people came and went, but he was in prison in the year, around the year 63 A.D., And this letter was supposed to be circulated. It wasn't just an instructional letter for one church to kind of correct any error, doctrinal error, or anything like that. This was a a kind of an overview of what the gospel was and how God and his plans through the church were going to impact 
the world. And, and this is what we need to think about when we think about the book of Ephesians, and especially uh, these first two chapters, we're going to look at, at chapter two, is because God wants us to know that his purpose is through the church to the world, through the church to the world, and that we would engage the world as he has engaged the world. So let's, let's look at the scripture. We'll read it. It's the first uh, 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, how many of you can say amen? amen. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yeah. Chapter 2, this chapter, is an extension of chapter 1. It's a repetition of chapter 1, giving great detail in how God was going to work in and through the church to bring about what he desires so much and why he died on the cross that people would be saved and experience the life and healing of Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, that we would be, as Kaule said, in heaven with him forever, healed and whole. How many of you need healing today? Amen. We desperately need it. We all need it in our souls. We need physical healing, emotional healing, and spiritual healing. He's reg regularly in this section of Scripture contrasting dead and alive. The, the, the dead man versus the living man. And, and we see this in the Scripture. We're going to go a little bit verse by verse here in just a minute. So let's, let's look at this first couple verses here again. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is, is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You guys, this death was not figurative. It wasn't a poetic use of a word. This is a literal spiritual death. We all know what physical death looks like. But spiritual death is even a more important death. The most vital part of who we are, our spirit is dead to the most important aspect of life there is, God himself. We are dead. That's the bad news. We'll do the bad news a little more, then we'll get to the good news. Is that all right? All right, all right. 
And then, then he's talking about transgressions. Parpatomata, which means lapses. This is, this is what sin is all about, that we lapse, that we, that we fail, that we, we fail to meet the mark. Isn't that what sin is? We don't meet the mark. It's like on a bullseye. We don't hit it, right? And when you don't hit the bullseye, and it's not perfect, that's, what, that's the, the measure of, of, of holiness, right? Is perfection, because God is holy, we're called to be holy as he is holy. We were created for that holiness. But we miss the mark every time. We miss the mark. And then the other word here is sins. Harmatia or shortcomings. And these two words, it's not a mistake or, or, or just fl- some flippant reason that Paul is using these two words here transgressions and sins. He's using it to make a point that, that we are irrescapably in trouble. We are in trouble. Layer upon layer of issues in our life cause us to fail, cause us to sin and fall short of the glory of God. And you know, dead is dead. Did you know that? It's, it's not like, you know, one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride, right? <laughs> oh, he's only mostly dead. <laughs> it's not like that. Was that like your best line ever? <laughs> and then, how many of you have seen that movie? Oh, the rest of you aren't laughing. That <laughs> this guy comes in totally, totally looking dead, and Miracle Max, who's Billy Crystal... I think you might know who he is. <laughs> I just feel so old sometimes. <laughs> you know, he, he, he takes the straw and he starts breathing air into this mostly dead person and trying to revive him. And, and he, tells, he tells the people that brought him, and don't worry, he's not dead. He's only mostly dead. And that is not like what we're talking about here. When, when Paul says we were dead, we were dead. Dead men cannot revive themselves. There's nothing a dead man can do. Right? So these trespasses and sins, they're not just the reason for our death. They are the evidence of death. You ever look around at your life sometimes and think, man, I really blew it there. My attitude stunk there. I really doubted there. Why did I yell at that person? I was so mean. I stole. I lied. I did all these things. I don't know about you, but I did. And it's the evidence of our death also. It's not just the reason for our death. So can you see yourself fall into that category just a little bit? Yeah. And then in verse 2, it, it, it's ta- it starts talking about that this is the, the way that we once walked. 
And it says that we were following the course of this world. We were following the prince of the power of the air. This is a very active thing we do. You know, so often you see it, especially in politics, right? You see people make excuses for their behavior. But really, literally, you guys, we actively do this. We follow this sin nature. We follow it and we follow the, the, um, the prince of the power of this air. Who's that? Satan. That's Satan. That's, that's the devil. We follow this plan. We, are, we don't just stumble into this. We don't just go, oops, I'm sorry. It just doesn't happen like that. Come on, admit it, right? We don't do that. This is on purpose. Now, sometimes sin upon sin and need upon need and issue upon issue, we sometimes don't recognize that, that it comes out from our soul. But our need for wanting to feel good about ourselves a lot of times makes us lie, right? And, and so out of that neediness comes another. It just like builds upon each other, these things. And then verse 3 says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I promise you this is the last verse that will bring us down. <laughs> but here we have Paul saying this is about all of us. Turn to someone right now and say this is about you too. The rest of you didn't do it because you were too afraid. I know. <laughs> this is about all of us. This is about Jew and Greek, Utah and Californian. <laughs> Californians have a little more, I know. <laughs> I know, I know. And we are children of wrath, according to the scripture. What does that mean? That we deserve God's punishment. We deserve it. We walk in this sin. We choose it. It's not by accident. Walking in this spirit is not passive. But now I want to tell you that walking in grace is not passive either. It's not passive either. And we're going to turn the corner and look at that right now. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He sets this up. This is, this is the most important point. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because of God's love, he took us who were dead and he made us alive. Dead men can do nothing, but Jesus Christ, because of his grace, can take you from death to life just like that. Right? I mean, I, I, I just, I cannot forget that moment I came to faith in Christ. Now, it was an emotional moment, but I tell you right now, it was 
unforgettably real. This was a real moment in my spiritual existence, which is not just my imagination. My spirit went from death to life in that very moment, and it was so very clear to me that something changed. You ever have that experience? I want to encourage you, if you have not had that experience, today is your opportunity. Today is the day where you can go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive and walk in the presence of the living God, the creator of the universe, the one who died on the cross so that you can have that life. You can walk in his presence for all eternity. Literally, the most amazing thing that could ever happen in your life forever is walking in his presence. I hear a lot of people when I I seem to wind up doing a lot of funerals. And at these funerals, I don't know why. And at these funerals, you know, uh, there's a lot of encouragement. Yes, you're going to see your relatives. and It's going to be wonderful. You're going to see, you know, your grandfather. And you're going to see your, your mother and all these people. And, and you most likely are. But let me tell you, it is going to be overshadowed by the glorious, momentous, outrageous moment when you look at Jesus Christ in the eyes and you see a love that is beyond all love. That is the love of Christ that we get to experience. And these three things happen in this section of Scripture. These three things happen when we become alive. First of all, we're made alive in Christ. We were dead, and now we are alive. We are dead spiritually, separated from God spiritually, separated from spiritual life, and and we are now alive. But that's not it. We're raised with him. We begin to start experiencing the life to come. When you're with Christ, when you know Jesus Christ, it isn't just something that you think, oh, I can't wait for that day. That day starts now, folks. That day starts now. We get to experience it today, walking in his peace, walking in his healing, walking in his joy. We are raised up with him, and then we are enthroned with him. That's what it says in the scripture. Our physical position may be here on earth, but our spiritual position is right there before the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are right there with him. We don't have to walk a mile to talk to Jesus Christ. We don't have to walk and get and and work hard and, and figure it out and go to a certain place in order to experience a, a conversation with Jesus Christ. We are right there with him. Right there with them. I'm always amazed when people say that they don't know how to pray when they're in the presence of the living God and all they have to do is open their mouth and talk and be in relationship. You never have to worry about how your prayer sounds because you are seated with him in the heavenlies and you are in conversation and in relationship with him if you know him as Lord and Savior. You could just talk. I encourage you to do it on a daily basis. And folks, all of this that Paul's talking about and the way he's talking about it is in the past tense. 
We are made alive in Christ. Not we will be made alive in Christ. We are raised up with him. Not one day we will be raised with him. We are enthroned with him. Not one day we will sit beside him. That's an insanely amazing, secure, glorious thing. And I'll tell you right now, I know we don't think like this every day because I know I don't think like this every day and I'm just like you. We don't think like this every day, but this is the reality. This is the reality of the grace of God. This is the reality of when we encounter the living God, we are with him. It is past tense. Come on, aren't you excited about that? Isn't that amazing? When you think about going home right now and you think about your struggles, think about the fact that you don't have to sit in the middle of those struggles when you are seated in the heavenlies. That's where you're at. That's not escaping reality. That is reality. That is reality. You guys, uh, how many of you are old enough to, to remember Publishers Clearinghouse? Right? And you used to, oh, so excited. You get this letter in the mail. It's really big envelope and it was colorful and it says you may have already won a million dollars and of course you have to actually sign up and get a magazine in order to see if you've won but there is no may have experienced the life of christ if you know jesus christ if if you have encountered god then you are in his presence. There's no may have. There's no publisher's clearinghouse envelope that's going to show up at your door. You have been raised with Christ. Amen? How does that change your life? Think about that, huh? We could probably stop right there. We have a little more. But wait, there's more. We are already saved. So verse 7 says, so that in the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This verse gives us the reason for this amazing thing that God has given us. It's to show. He wants to show the surpassing wealth of his grace to everyone. He wants to show it. This word immeasurable that Paul uses, he uses it twice, once in, verse, in chapter 1, once in chapter 2. It's herpabalo. I like to say that like that. And it, it means exceeding or surpassing. The NIV uses the word incomparable or matchless, beyond comparison. It's not even suitable to be com- compared because it is so glorious. This is what God wants to show us, his immeasurable riches of his grace. Wow. It goes way beyond what we think. Way beyond. And this word show, it's, it's not like, hey, I just want to show you something. You know what it means? It means I want to prove to you, prove to you the grace, the immeasurable grace that I have given to you. I want to prove it to you by my love, by my healing, by my presence, 
I want to prove it to you. That's what happened to me when I, when I encountered Christ. It was proven to me. Right there and that moment, I was slain because I, it was proven to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that the love of God is for me, that he accepts me, that he wants to heal me, that he has a promise for me in the future. It is proven. William Barclay, a theologian, says this, he did this to demonstrate for all the ages the surpassing wealth of his grace. It is God's publicity program for the whole of history. That's all he has to do is show up, my grace, my grace. That's it. It's the most amazing thing that God has to offer. And now we get to the reason why we're talking about this portion of Scripture. Verse 8, 9, and 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one can boast. Paul is summing up in this section with one of the most important scriptures of this age. It is a scripture so key. In a broken world, in a hurting world, God is offering us something that we cannot pay for but he is offering it to us as a free gift. This gift of grace. This encounter that we can have. And this encounter isn't just a one-time encounter. It could be today, tomorrow. It could be twice tomorrow. It could be three times tomorrow that you encounter the grace of God. Every day, every day, we should be encountering this grace and experiencing this great, glorious gift that he has for us. And faith should not be misinterpreted in this section of Scripture to say, okay, so my ingredient for salvation is grace, and his, I'm sorry, is faith, and his is grace. No, what does it say right here? It says that both came from God. Both came from God. In a world where we think that we have to do things to gain God's approval and God's acceptance, he's saying, no, no, no. You can't do anything to gain my acceptance or my approval. I alone will grant you the faith so that the grace of God can come in and, in, and you can encounter me and be forever changed. It is, man doesn't have a contribution in this equation at all. Paul says that nothing in our own effort can make this happen. It is all a gift, all a gift. Here, Paul is excluding any possibility of self-achievement, any possibility of self-achievement at all. Salvation is not a reward for any type of work, even some type of faith work that you think you might be able to come up with. Because God gives that faith as well. And this all takes place when we encounter Christ and salvation.
And this is so important because as we get to this final verse, he's going to start talking about works. So we spent, we spent the first eight verses talking about the, the grace of God and how it is completely a gift. And now we're going to look at one little verse that trips us up all the time because it goes back to what we think in our, in our, in our brokenness, in our hurt. We think that if we do something, God is going to pr- approve us. And I, I want to convince you today that that won't happen. But you will do things as well. Because grace is an active event, right. as you'll see. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a lot in this little verse. So let's talk about it. This is the outcome of the entire section of Scripture. We are God's workmanship. You might have heard it said that that workmanship, oftentimes the the root of that word in the Greek is poema or like a, a poem or a work of art. It is his workmanship alone. It is nothing that you could do. It is his workmanship. And then... So thrilling to see this. The, the verb for create in Greek is kitsu, to create. But, but it goes back to the Hebrew for bara. Who knows where that word is used related to creation in the, in the Old Testament? And God created. And God created. In the book of Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. Bara is only used solely and only reserved for God creating. Not us, not our works, but for God creating. God did this. Gosh, this is so freeing, you guys. It is so freeing to know that there is nothing that we can exert in ourselves that can change us. This is God's workmanship. This is God's barah. And that's freeing. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about encourage, is that God is working in us. His barah is working in us and changing us, changing us from our selfish selves to those that can love God and love people. And we're encouraged in that transformation process because God is the one doing it. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Here, this is an important thing to get because we have been made perfect and we are being perfected at the same time. (laughs) I don't know how that works, but God does. God knows that we are seated in the heavenlies. We're before him. There's nothing imperfect, nothing unholy that could be before God in heaven. And we are there. So we know we have been made perfect. But we also know that we are being made holy, which means that God is doing this barah, this creation in us throughout our lives. Can that just, just set you free from thinking that you need to be perfect and and good and and approved by God right now? 
This is a process that we're going through. And then we come to this last section, which is all of what this, with this um, series is about, that we would engage. It says uh, uh, that, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This barah is for something. There's a purpose here. And that is for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Works plays no part in our salvation. We've already looked at that section, right? But after we're saved, we live out our faith with works. And this is where people get so confused and they start thinking, well, maybe I'm not saved because I'm, I'm not such a good person. Well, guess what? When you got saved, you were even worse. <laughs> right? God's moving in this way. These works were prepared in advance. This is mind-boggling to think about that the things that God calls us to do each day, he's had them prepared in advance. I don't know why, but I have this picture of like a, like a Smith's market. And we can go to the market and we can pick out a little of this love and a little of this service, and a little of this sharing the gospel. And we can do it. They're already made. All we have to do is use them. That's what I'm getting at here. That's what Engage is all about. These are prepared in advance. Vicaris, which is, is the Greek word for grace, which saves us, is the same charis, root word, of the gifts that are passed out from us. It's the same root word. The grace of God flows into us, changes us, and then demands to flow out from us. The Dead Sea is dead on purpose because it has no outflow. We are called to allow the flow of grace to come out from us. And we are called to walk in these gifts, walk in these gifts, which is basically our way of life. This is our way of life. We walk in these gifts. They've been given to us. Just like salvation has been given to us, the, our gifts has been given to us that we could just poof, poof, whatever, whatever happens each and every day. That could be what it is. That's the walk of a Christian. That's why we're talking about engage for the next few weeks because we are to engage others in loving them, sharing the gospel, and serving them. Let's look at that slide. Can you put that slide up? There it is. This is my own handiwork. Daisy, I'm sorry. Daisy does a great job on our graphics, but this is one I put together. This is the flow of grace. This is what I'm talking about, folks. This is the first part, the arrow coming down, the blue arrow coming down. That's, that's our encounter. That's when we encounter Christ. And we are forever changed. And of course, again, that encounter can happen every day, multiple times a day. I want to have it all the time. 
We're going to have a moment of encounter in just a minute here. And then you see those arrows circling around that, that poor, pathetic little creature there in the middle. And, and, and that's, that's God encouraging us to grow and transforming us. That's the bara of God creating in us, changing us, this beautiful masterwork that he is creating that you and me. And now, whoops, where'd it go? Come back. And now it needs to flow out from us. It can't be stuck there. I had a, a stuffed drain in my, in my, in my sink in, in my bathroom upstairs. And it's such a pain, you know, because it, it's just such a mess. That's not God's plan for us as people. We are not to be stuffed drains. We are to flow. And you know what? The more, gr- the more grace flows out of you, the more room is for more. That's what God wants to do. So let's, let's look at this. How, does, how do we live this out? Well, first of all, we need to recognize that a poem needs to be spoken. We need to recognize that a masterpiece needs to be seen. You're the masterpiece. I'm the masterpiece. We're the poems. We are called by God to be that light in that Matthew scripture, Matthew 5, to be the light of the world. But not in the sense of, oh, I need to do this work because these have been already given to us. The grace of God saved us. The grace of God transforms us. And now the grace of God flows out from us so that we can be the light of the world. What in that is our work? None. Thank you. None. It is all God doing it. Let's get rid of religious obligation. Amen? Let's get rid of it today and allow the grace of God to change us as we engage the world. So first, have a daily awareness of the flow of grace. This would be a good thing to think about daily. You know, how is my grace flowing? What does that look like? That even just the concept of, God, you want my grace to flow. It's not just supposed to be stopped up inside of me. It doesn't just end with my salvation. How do you want my grace to flow today? Then let it be organic. Don't let it be a work in your own flesh because it can't be. That's a dead work. The grace of God is a living work. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received, charis, by the way, that's grace, you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of what? God's grace. Again, you see the grace of God, it, it flows into us, it changes us, and it flows out in its various forms. We're all different. We're all not going to be Jody. Or Ira, thank goodness, right? All the bagels in the world would be eaten then. You wouldn't have any left. 
If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. We each are going to express ourselves in different ways. We have the woman at the well. She was impacted and encountered God and she invited her her family and friends and neighbors. The blind man, they said, how did you get healed? He said, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, now I'm healed. We can do it like that. We can do it like Dorcas, my favorite name in the Bible, and, and serve. It says that she was always doing good and helping the poor. We can do it like that. We can have the grace of God flow out like that, like Jesus feeds or Jesus on the move. So many areas. We could be like Matthew and throw a party for those people that don't know Jesus. We actually have had people do that in our church. It's the most thrilling thing to throw a party and invite people that don't know Jesus to hear about Jesus. Maybe the grace of God's gonna flow like that for you. Maybe it's Stephen who served the church through, through being a deacon and you could serve the church. There's so many areas in the church here. You could allow your grace to flow and it would make a gigantic difference. And you think, well, you know, that's not like a light to the world. And I say, oh, really? That's not the light of the world to serve at the church? Some people, that, that is their great gift that God's given them. That is the various form that we just read about in 1 Peter. And, and so that is wonderful. And when the church is strong, when, when, and it's called the body of Christ, when the body of Christ is strong, then we can be stronger in being a light to the world. So do it in that way if it's serve. Ask yourself these questions regularly. What expression of grace do you think you have to give? If you don't identify these things, then you're missing one of the first steps that can really help you. And then maybe name two people or two ways that you could express that grace gift. Amen? I just want to close with with a story. John Newton, in the 1700s, he was a slave trader. Ruthless. You know, those slave ships were, were terrible. They were cramped down in the bow of the ship. They never saw the light or, or had fresh air. Many of them died. A great percentage of, of slaves died in those ships, being transported to other places. And he was a slave trader on a ship. And then... One day there was a great storm off the coast of Ireland. And Isaac Newton prayed and said, if you get us out of this storm, I will serve you. And at that very moment, the the storm subsided and he realized there is a God and he had an encounter. But just like all of us, just like you and me, something miraculous happened. He went from death to life, but God was still doing that Barah in him, right? Still changing him. He actually stayed a, a slave trader for a while, and then he retired, and then God began to convict him more that Barah was convicting him and changing him. 
And he wrote, a, a, wrote an essay called Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade. And he repented publicly to the world and said, this was wrong. This never should have happened. And that Barah had its effect in him. And then he engaged. He engaged. We engaged through writing this paper. But he also engaged by becoming someone of a minister. And he engaged by becoming an abolitionist to help end slavery. And he engaged by writing hymns, like probably the most famous hymn in all the world that we're going to sing in just a minute. Amazing Grace. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That is for, by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves. It is a gift, not by works, so no man can boast. For we are his workmanship. Barad in him. So that we can live out these works which you prepared in advance for us. Works of grace. Works of grace in our homes. Works of grace at our workplaces. Works of grace in our neighborhoods. Works of grace in our families. Works of grace in the public square. Works of grace in the private dark spaces. Lord, we choose that today. We choose that today. I want to give you an opportunity. This indescribable grace that goes beyond our comprehension which is the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the power of God to bring that barah, that creation, that change in us, and then to release us in grace. This is available to everyone. And if you've not experienced God's love, if you've not asked him into your life, or if you've walked away from God and today God is speaking to you to come back, come back to my grace, I want to give you that opportunity today. Just raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just as a sign of solidarity with those that raise their hand, can we all just repeat this simple prayer? Dear Lord Jesus, I heard about your grace your love and forgiveness. You took upon yourself my sins. I should have died, but you chose to do it instead. And today, because of no work in my own strength, I receive your love and your forgiveness. Change me. Be the leader of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you raised your hand or you didn't and you'd like prayer, we'd love you to come forward and receive prayer. Or you could pray with someone who brought you today. And I want to encourage you, think about how you're going to live out that grace in your life today. Amen?
We'll continue this series next week. God bless you guys. Thank you.